As supply chain strain price gouging emerges, Jason Levine of Alston & Bird joins us to talk about it. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. How are things going at Alston & Bird? Thanks so much for having me, Lawrence. Things are going great, adapting very well to working from home. It's been an interesting challenge, but one that's been uh, invigorating. You know, and I, as I understand it, I know Alston & Bird has several locations. Which one do you call home? So I'm a partner in the Washington, D.C. office where we have uh, approximately 100 lawyers and policy advisors. Excellent, excellent. So, Jason, our episode today is about uh, price gouging. And, you know, it's been increasing in prominence since the COVID-19 pandemic. And although it's not a huge story in the news, I've been seeing it pop up more and more lately. And I think it's a really important story to talk about because I think businesses and individuals can get wrapped up in this inadvertently when our supply chains begin to strain. But uh, before we get into all those questions, can you share with us your experience in this area of the law? Sure. So I've been a litigator and a trial lawyer for over 20 years, and I focus on complicated business disputes, usually involving different kinds of claims for contracts, uh, fraud, other business torts, and sometimes against the U.S. government. And I also practice antitrust litigation, often defending against large class actions for price fixing and also advising on antitrust compliance issues. And so both aspects of my practice really come into play when you're talking about price gouging which involves litigation and also unfair competition. And during the pandemic, certainly I've been advising a lot of clients on price gouging issues. All right. Well, thank you for that. I think that establishes the bona fides there. And so let's start with the basics. So I, uh, Jason, as I understand, and this isn't my area of law, but uh, as I understand it, the states treat price gouging a little differently, have different terminology. But just in terms of sort of a universal definition, how is it typically defined countrywide price gouging? So price gouging is typically defined or thought of as unjustified or extreme price increases that are intended to profiteer from a natural disaster or another emergency, usually for basic necessities or products that are essential for an emergency. And so a classic example would be the impending hurricane where the gas station on the road out of town suddenly triples the price of the gallon of gas while everybody's evacuating. The price increase isn't due to underlying cost increases. It's an attempt to profiteer from the emergency. And price gouging prohibitions are triggered by declared states of emergency. They don't apply otherwise. Okay. So then in terms of the states, though, I understand there's several approaches when it comes to prohibiting price gouging. So can you run down the different tranches of those and just kind of explain how different states treat this? Sure. Well, at a, at a high level, because the states do differ, around two-thirds of states have specific laws that criminalize or ban price gouging. And then there are a few other states like Maryland and Delaware in particular uh, that included price gouging prohibitions in the declarations of emergency for the coronavirus. They did not have statutes before. So these state statutes in terms of enforcement are almost exclusively enforced by state attorney general's offices and penalties can range from disgorging the profits earned from a price gouged product to injunctions against continuing price gouging practices to fines or criminal penalties. And a few states even provide for jail time. Now, there are also, in addition to those government prosecution methods, uh, there are a few states that allow private causes of action for price gouging. A consumer could actually sue the seller directly. 
all 50 states, even those that don't have price gouging statutes, also have some form of unfair trade practices law, which can usually be crafted to go after price gougers, even if there isn't a statute that prohibits price gouging specifically. And those statutes for unfair trade practices sometimes permit private rights of action for damages also, but there too, usually they're enforced by attorney general's offices. And to help with enforcement, states will almost always have either a telephone hotline or in this day and age, a website where people can report suspected price gouging for investigation. And then in terms of what the statutes cover, states will vary in how they define it. But in general, price gouging statutes are broad enough for the most part to cover any consumer goods and often things like fuel and medical equipment. And interestingly enough, there are a couple of states that actually limit their price gouging laws just to fuel, which itself could be a totally separate discussion. So my next question is a question related to federalism. And so obviously, as the COVID-19 pandemic unfolds, we're seeing, you know, responsibilities that are carved out for the states and ones that are more clearly carved out for the federal government. So states definitely take the lead role here when it comes to price gouging. But I do understand that there is a federal government role in here. And so could you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Well, the federal government role really is surprisingly limited, uh, with one exception, involved in COVID-19 that I'll mention. So the federal government historically hasn't been involved in price gouging enforcement. There actually are not any federal price gouging laws, although there have been a few recent legislative proposals that are sitting in Congress right now. Uh, The Department of Justice does have what's called the National Center for Disaster Fraud Response, which was formed in 2005 after Hurricane Katrina. It's part of the criminal division. And now in the wake of COVID-19, that office uh, has served really as more of a nationwide hotline for consumers to report price gouging. And it coordinates complaints that it receives with state officials and state attorneys general. Now, the one big development with COVID-19 is that in March, President Trump signed an executive order, Executive Order 13910, which invoked what's called the Defense Production Act, uh, a 1950s era statute that has to do with products that are necessary for national defense. And he did that to prohibit the accumulation uh, by individuals or companies of scarce health and medical resources for purposes of reselling them at excessive prices. That's really been the biggest federal development. So if the authority comes from an executive order, what crime is there for noncompliance and is that prosecutable? Well, it is prosecutable. Hoarding or selling the designated medical supplies, they've been designated by the Secretary of Health and Human Services, is criminal. It's a violation of the Defense Production Act. The executive order invoked the Defense Production Act and made its provisions applicable to hoarding or selling these kinds of products at excessive prices. And under the DPA, willful violations are subject to fines of up to $10,000 per violation and also imprisonment of up to a year in jail. So there are some potentially significant penalties for violations of the DPA in this situation. 
One of the things I found really interesting when I was doing my research was matter of degree and the differences between the states when it comes to you know, the percentage you're allowed to increase a price before it becomes price gouging. But there's also a time limit by which you can make that increase. So can you walk us through uh, some of that, Jason, just how the states differ in those regards? Sure. And the states absolutely differ very widely in this area. So some states measure price gouging based on straight percentage increases in prices, comparing the price during a declared state of emergency to the price immediately before the emergency, or maybe something like 30 days or seven days before the emergency was declared, depending on the state. And so in California, for example, uh, that's a 10% increase in prices. In Maine, it's 15%. In Michigan, it's 20%. Uh, Some other states are 25%. That's the kind of percentage variation the states tend to fall within. Then there are other states that are more vague, and they base the price gouging determination on whether an increase is excessive or grossly excessive or excessive and unjustified or some other terminology like that. And this is more of a sort of an I know it when I see it kind of approach to price gouging, which makes it a little, a little bit easier in some sense for enforcers to go after a bad actor because there's not a clear-cut percentage increase that's necessary. It also makes it a little harder to know whether you might be running afoul of the statute. And then finally, there are a few other states like Maryland that look to the profit margin and prohibit price increases that yield increases in the profit margin above a certain threshold. So I mentioned Maryland. There the prohibited level uh, is 10%. So the price increase for goods covered by the statute uh, during the emergency cannot result in an increase of more than 10% in the value of profit for the seller, which you can imagine could be a very involved inquiry for the state to get into. Yeah, you know, when you start talking about uh, 10%, I mean, I can see right now just, uh, you know, the actual increase in cost of bringing that product to market going up because right now shipping lines, especially with food, uh, they're not able to deliver as many units per truck as they were before. So it's more expensive to ship. So uh, just a quick follow-up there, Jason, are there defenses or limitations to, you know, some of those price gouging uh, regulations there? So like if it's an essential item, so like a product type, so it's an essential item versus not essential item, you know, what you're passing on is a pass on cost, supply chain interruptions. I mean, what defenses do businesses have when they need to raise their prices? Sure. There are definitely defenses. These, these statutes are not absolute. Most states permit pass-on of cost increases as a defense, and really as an absolute defense. So the cost increase can be from price increases further back in the supply chain, for example, or from increased distribution costs due to circumstances that are beyond the seller's control. If those can be established by the seller, uh, they, they do constitute a defense to a claim of price gouging. It gets very fact-specific, obviously. The seller needs to be able to make that showing. And then, you know, as I mentioned, price gouging statutes also apply to a lot of products, but they don't apply to every single thing sold within a state. So they typically will apply to household goods or consumer supplies or medical equipment, fuel in many places, but but not literally everything being sold. So hypothetically, you could have a situation where this is a strange example, but let's say uh, there's a natural disaster of some sort. There's a lot of beach erosion and a home that was on the market 
suddenly becomes waterfront property when it wasn't before. Theoretically, the person could increase the price of that house quite a bit, and that would not be covered by a price gouging statute, which will not cover real estate sales. Um, now, a lot of the statutes are also limited to consumers, and they don't provide relief to businesses whose suppliers may be engaging in price gouging. Uh, so in those states, it's a defense as well if you are uh, selling to businesses uh, rather than directly to consumers. Those are a few examples of, of defenses. All right. So we're, we're about out of time, but I do want to hit two more questions real quick there, Jason. And so uh, one that I've just, I think a lot of people are going to be very curious about. I'm sure they've seen this on Amazon and eBay. You'll have a seller out there that is just charging some ridiculous price. So for those online platforms like Amazon and eBay, which you know they rely on individual sellers to set their prices, how do the price gouging laws apply to those services? So as a general matter, the price gouging laws will apply to the sellers themselves and not the platform. I guess a, a platform could theoretically get into trouble if it received a share of the proceeds from an item being sold at a price gouging level and knew that the price was at a price gouging level. But by and large, the major platforms have been pretty proactive about policing price gouging on their platforms, removing products that are being sold at excessive prices and trying to stay out of the price gouging business. Now, you know, if a platform has its own products that it sells, it could be subjected to price gouging laws as the seller. And the platforms can get roped into price gouging investigations that are looking into sellers on the platform. But in general, the platform itself, just as a conduit for the seller, uh, is not typically subject to the price gouging law. Well, let's wrap it up with this last question there, Jason. So let's say that uh, you or your client has been the victim of price gouging. You know, what type of relief can you seek and where should you turn first? I mean, I would say that first you should turn to counsel who are experienced in the area to make sure you know that a price gouging law applies and exactly what to do. But apart from that, you could first go after the price gouger directly by contacting that company or person to advise that the price seems way too high and perhaps they should lower them or give you some kind of restitution. Failing that, which usually would only work in a big business situation anyway, your first step would be going to the state attorney general in the state where you are. Whether you live in the state or your company is headquartered in that state, I would begin there. And then if the seller is in a different state, uh, you could also complain to the state attorney general in that state as well. Now, this can be done usually through a phone hotline, sometimes by an email sent to the attorney general's office without need for a formal written complaint. They make it pretty easy. And this, if it goes as normal, would then potentially lead to an investigation being opened, inquiry being made of the seller. If it appears that they are in fact engaged in price gouging, charges could be filed, a cease and desist letter could be issued, and the matter wrapped up fairly quickly. Often these price gouging matters are wrapped up quickly because the attorney general's office wants to close the matter, be capable of publicizing it, getting restitution to the people who are affected. And most price gougers, when they're caught, realize they're caught and don't really have much of a defense. Now, if the seller is a foreign company, not in the United States, that can be much more difficult because your state attorney general's office will have a lot of difficulty presenting jurisdiction against that entity. And in that situation, you may need to do something more, more sophisticated, like approaching a member of Congress to see if there's something that could be done at a country to country level. But that's beyond the scope of a lot of what price gouging will usually involve. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. If our listeners, they have questions, want to follow up with you, how can they find you? Sure. Well, they can find me uh, at my law firm at jason.levine at alston, A-L-S-T-O-N.com. Or they could call me. Uh, my office phone number is 202-239-3039. I'd be delighted to talk to anyone who has questions. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. Also, we'll cite and make available our sources for this episode on our website, LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Stay strong, everybody. (laughs) 